Hi, everyone. We've set up this Being an Engineer podcast as an industry knowledge repository, if you will. We hope it'll be a tool where engineers can learn about and connect with other companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. So make some connections and enjoy the show. Once you kind of figure out how things work, I think the, the next level is kind of how people work with things. Hello and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Being an Engineer podcast. Our guest today is Kyle Valaton. Kyle graduated from Cal Poly in 2010 with a degree in mechanical engineering and has since gained experience in a wide variety of roles from web development to R&D engineering to operations consulting. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me, Aaron. Looking forward to the discussion. All right. So what made you decide to become an engineer? Yeah, well, uh, very similar to a lot of your guests, uh, Tinker as a child and kind of supported by, you know, the the folks that, you know, my, my parents and other few people to, um, yeah, just, just foster that and keep that going. And so um, I actually, funny enough, didn't really know what the term engineer meant, though, until about my junior, senior year in high school. And then that was kind of the counselors kind of pushing me in this direction. Uh, so it's been it's been a learning process ever since. Honestly, I'm very grateful to have really you know the Cal Poly support um, for sure, and then of course some early mentors uh, getting right out of college that really set that path for me. You know, I've heard really good things about Cal Poly specifically uh, about its engineering program. What do you think was was different or unique or maybe better? there than uh, some of the other universities where you could do an engineering program? Yeah, I think, you, you know, they, they have their talking point that is, you know, learn by doing the hands-on approach. Uh, but really, other than that, I think the the environment, um, the reputation that comes with Cal Poly, there, there's a bit of a, a, a level that you need to hit. It's just in general, there's it's like, if you're going to be here, um, you, you should perform and you should try things. And that's really... So for me, I think that this, the ability for professors at that time to just say, I'm doing this thing on the side. Can you help me out? Or can you give it a try? Uh, so, so that type of mentality of like, we're a group of people, we're trying stuff. Uh, so I was multiple club, a part of multiple clubs at the time. Um, uh, I ended up being in a formula hybrid club, uh, building electric hybrid vehicles, which was great, you know, just before, you know, kind of Tesla took off. And, uh, and so that was, but yeah, projects like that, where it's just a club of people, Hey, come out, we're going to try this thing. We have the funds to do it. Um, so let's, let's take this apart. Let's, let's build something. Um, yeah. So the reputation kind of, the reputation kind of fostered the, the further momentum in that direction, I think. Yeah. I love their slogan. I like to say doing is better than learning about doing. And that's basically what they're saying. Learn by doing. Right. Well, you work at a company now called Build to Launch as an R&D and operations consultant. What what can you tell us about Build to Launch? Yeah, Build to Launch was uh, my first foray into the consulting world. Um, I left a, a I worked, um, I guess I was working at, at a startup, my second startup that I can officially say was a startup. You know, we have a bunch of endeavors uh, that we try after 
uh, college and with friends. But I'd say I worked at a startup, a medical device startup, right after college. And that experience and the mentors in that organization really propelled me to kind of see everything under the hood of specifically a medical device startup. And I was able to confidently kind of put my services out there after leaving that company. Um, and, and that's, that's literally that momentum has been driving that reputation since. So built to launch is still going, uh, you know, still making the Bay area is an amazing, um, resource in terms of networks and colleagues in the area. So just picking up one project after another, um, in the startup ecosystem. So I'm happy to say I've been a part of eight different startup life cycles now. Wow. Um, and so that's been really, you know, that's really where I get most of my perspective from is just seeing so much, uh, with, you know, all the dynamics at the engineering level, you know, not just at the, the, the management or executive level. Yeah. So build to launch is more or less, uh, an incubator. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It started out as just, you know, my own consulting thing, but now I'm starting to productize some of those services in the sense of, you know, giving early startups a report card for how well their um, engineering team is doing or or how prepared they are to scale. Um, you know, a lot of the common pitfalls and first fundamentals, but just baking them into like an engineering consulting type of relationship. And so that allows me to kind of get my hands dirty under the hood of a startup um, in ways that is kind of unique, you know? <laughs> yeah. After working with all of these different startups, what are some of the themes or, or patterns that you're seeing, especially where engineers are maybe fumbling a little bit? Uh, yeah. You know, common pitfalls, especially, you know, I think the engineering team to uh, leadership team in terms of, you know, the founders, maybe even the marketing team, depending on what stage it's at. But, but the level of communication um, between the departments needs to be so strong through that first product launch or through even after the, the go-to-market success because there's so much riding on it. And I see startups scaling in the traditional sense of leaders kind of growing their teams, but then you end up with the silo problem. So I think the big thing is just you know staying a team from go, when you go from, let's say, five people in a startup to 15 or 20 even. Um, keeping that team environment and, and making sure everybody's on the same group chats and seeing all the data coming in because um, because it's just too it's not there's there's too much work in trying to package the deliverables that the engineering team needs to accomplish versus the deliverables that the marketing team needs. It's it's there's too much management there. So I see that it's just better to have everyone you know almost like an open thread in a way for the mm. business in terms of seeing the information stream across and be like, okay, that's good to know that so-and-so is working on that. I'm going to focus on this problem. Interesting. Any other pro tips that you might have? I mean, we hear this time and time again. I have guests join me on the show and I ask them, what are some of the pitfalls you see engineers falling into commonly or some of the problems in engineering teams that you see routinely and communication comes up all the time. Any other pro tips for for how like specific tactical things that engineering teams can do to facilitate really good communication in their, in their groups. Yeah, I think it definitely comes top down for sure. So if you're an engineer starting to work at a company, you're probably coming into something that's already been built. 
um, in most cases. So it does take leadership to have a culture of openness and not feeling like more information. I think of one big thing is more information can sometimes kind of cloud, um, like preoccupy the minds of the engineers is like one way to think about it. But if it's thoughtful and it it comes with a decision at the end of it, it's not just like, oh, hey, there's 50 problems over here we're dealing with. It's like, it's more packaged. It's like, oh, hey, we're, you know, the marketing team is dealing with this, but they've got a solution for it. And this is what it is. Uh, that's what they're going to work on. You know, that type of communication, it's very thoughtful, but I, I think the open thread aspect um, is important because it's not, it's not, it's not more work. It's just making sure that people are aware um, and just having a platform. It doesn't like e we all know email is not the best platform to have like 20 CC chain emails is not the way to have an open thread, right? You, you have to have pick something that's not just email uh, to have that discussion. But just people seeing that progress is happening all over the organization is yeah. is is pretty key in some in some way. Yeah, they could be Slack or Teams or or whatever. We use Teams and we have kind of a hybrid, I guess. We have projects within the Teams channel where you can speak specifically about that project, but then we have a general channel as well. And I'd say I'm guessing maybe 70% of the in, of the total traffic through Teams goes through that general channel. So everyone sees it. And you get a good sense for what's going on in the company. And, and it's not just the technical aspects that we talk about there, right? Sometimes we're making a joke or sending a funny meme or things like that, and right? And so you, you get um, – everyone gets to see that, which has been helpful for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'll, you, I'll make a small comment, just a one addition to that. Please. Is, uh, it's, it seem, may seem small, but like on Teams Chat, you know, one of the companies I'm a, a consultant for, we just started a thing where every time somebody – said something thoughtful we just hearted it like you know the little heart reaction yeah. and like just that one little emoji you know now it's like you go through a thread and like there's hearts everywhere and it, you know and that's <laughs> it's it's so simple right it's so small but it's it really does alleviate a lot of that pressure that yeah. might come with a, a high stakes project it's funny how a few pixels on a screen in the right color and shape can evoke the right emotions in a team right like you said, yeah. it's this, such a small thing, but it's really not that small of a thing. It makes a big difference. Right. Well, you've worked in both corporate and, and startup environments. Um, do you have a preference of, of one over the other? And, and like, what are some of the differences that engineers should be aware of before deciding to work at a, a startup versus a more of a corporate established entity? Yeah. Yeah. Great question, because I think that's actually one of the big forks in the road that most people aren't um, made aware of until they're kind of at the job interview of like, oh, I guess I'm going to be a startup engineer now. But really, it's it's a career path. Um, so, you know, startups, you see more, you learn more, you become more of a generalist. And in the corporate world, you know, things are kind of foreseeable by design. So, you know, you have expectations to meet. And if you meet those expectations for for a consistent period of time, you're going to do just fine. And so it goes to kind of, I think there's a bit of it, just an attitude towards it in terms of like, you know, what, why are you in the engineering field? 
you know, like really thinking. And then on the corporate, so corporate side, right? I mean, if you just think purely money, purely financial, um, being consistent and working your way up the corporate ladder will, and getting those stock options and working at a company that has a proven track record of success will give you a higher return on your time. But in the startup world, there's a little bit of that uh, moving against the current kind of that that rebellious that like there's a different way there's a better and different way to do things and that so you start with that nugget do you have that like do you have that like inkling like i just i want to do it better in some way um and then from there choosing like yourself choosing the opportunities doing those calculations those measurements yourself is this startup going to be a success and do do i feel that truly in in looking at the numbers looking at my gut um because otherwise it will just be like, a, I mean, if I, if, I, if I look at my career, you know, I, I look at it now with, with a badge of honor, but there's a lot of failures in there uh, because that math wasn't done up front. I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent here. Before we started the show, you, you said something to the effect of engineers are clamoring for community or, or connection. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Where, where have you seen that and, and what kind of community do you think engineers are looking for? Why do you think they're looking for it, et cetera? Sure. Yeah, I think I, I if you go through a traditional path of maybe college or some, some post-high uh, school degree, and kind of follow that path there, there eventually you hit a point where it's just you kind of running off the cliff to your you know ideal job mate let's say maybe you're interviewing for a specific job or that first job out of college kind of splits everyone up uh pretty quickly and there's a lot of pressure on that and so i think without a proper social network of sorts and, and a good community of of fellow colleagues that you're kind of following as you go through those first few positions you, it's very easy to just get caught up in your own career or goals and you kind of lose a connection to what everyone else in your class or your 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 network is uh, is learning. But that stuff is actually really critical right out of college. Like what it, what are other people's experiences in their first, they're not even their first, but just in their engineering role, like keeping that thread of information um, alive is really critical because because you can end up you know years into a position and just cut, you kind of feel like you're coming out for air after a couple of years and you're like what's happened like what was everyone else up to and it's it's generally not a good feeling i've seen uh, so yeah. so having a support network and sharing your experiences with with other folks and other colleagues um very critical what do you think the solution is for that yeah solution wise I mean, I think, you know, I, I, as a, as a millennial myself, I, I almost jumped on the, the, I guess social networks was kind of, that was our thing, you know, kind of the rise of the social network and all that stuff. But now you kind of have the rise of like the closed networks of the discords and the chat rooms are kind of, kind of decentralized and kind of making their own, um, wave. Like I, I recently, there was a, a climate tech, um, slack network that i just casually heard about through a colleague and i go and sign up to it and it's got seventeen thousand people in wow. that network and so you're just like oh right under this like this casually seventeen thousand people having very active career focused discussions um just right under our noses basically um so 
they're there, but there is a little bit of searching and asking around to, to realize they're there. Interesting. Yeah. We've been working on something in the background that is uh, pretty much exactly what you've been describing, a community for engineers. Um, in fact, by the time this episode comes out, it might be publicly launched. And it's a tools, education, and community for engineers, starting off as a website, but growing into in-person events and uh, educational seminars, uh, guest speakers, things like that. So we're pretty excited about it. And I'm just thrilled to hear you say um, that this is something that engineers want and need because we feel the same way and, and we're building something to do that. Okay, back back into kind of the, t- the uh, where we left off here. Um, You've talked about this idea of, of storytelling in prototyping and design. And what does that mean? And, and maybe can you share an example or two of, of this storytelling in practice? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Good research. I, I, um, yeah. So, so one of the key things that I see in terms of an engineer kind of growing into their role and potentially going into a leadership role and, and really kind of expanding their their opportunities um, is this key trait of storytelling. And you find most of the good leaders and, and managers out there do a really good job of framing what it is you're trying to work on and what you're trying to achieve in some way. So I, I like to use storytelling at, as early as just the prototyping phase of being like, okay, before we start getting our hands dirty, start building stuff, like, I like the, you know, the first thing I ask is, you know, what's the story of the user before and after they do the job basically. So like, Uh, so just at that base level, so like, tell me what you truly want to happen from this project. And, And that could be as small as, you know, a single operation on a manufacturing line that could be as, you know, as big as the product itself. Um, but like you can use that framing for any level of project or task, but it, but just it's just such a nice low effort first step to be like let's just talk about where we're going to be before and after before you get into the brainstorm session, the back and forth, the 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 clashing of personalities in the room, you know all that stuff, right? Just just set that set that statement up there, like this is what we want to happen. Okay, great. Now let's get started. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let me take a short break here and share with the listeners. This is the part in in my mind, I think, because I say the same thing every time, right? And it'd be really interesting to hear from some user or some listeners if this is the case. I say this the same spiel every time and in, in the back of my mind, I think, okay, this is the point where people just click uh, fast forward 30 seconds, fast forward 30 seconds. Okay. He's off of the ad now back into the show. Uh, so maybe I'm not going to do this uh, this same spiel right now. I'm just going to say teampipeline.us, custom equipment, fixtures and automation, reach out to us. Let's talk. And we're back to the show. So if you fast forward to 30 seconds, you probably missed a little bit. And we're talking with Kyle Valaton today. So uh, Kyle, I think as, as engineers, we are consistently being asked to solve hard problems, right? Which is what we love to do. We wouldn't want to just solve easy problems because that wouldn't be fun. What has your mindset been in the past as, as you've worked on solving difficult problems? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Difficult problems are the name of the game, right? In terms of our abilities, that that is what we are tasked to solve, um, which is kind of daunting. It can be 
stressful until you kind of learn to deal with it. But essentially my go-to for mindset is that end result is kind of pretty key. Um, and making sure that that's realistic, just fundamentally, like, is are, do I have some amount of certainty in the end result? And And I guess a better way to phrase that is maybe not safe space, but this idea of like an abundance mindset when you approach a problem. So you create, you give yourself some sort of safe space or runway to approach the problem so that you eliminate that impending deadline, that like high stress, you know, like when we think about what is stress, it's, it's the deadline and the uncertainty combined. It's, you know, so like if you give yourself a runway that you can at least take a breath and look at this from a reasonable angle. Um, and, and you obviously chop that up as you need to. I think that's the first step and really kind of protecting that because if a company just wants, you know, the best solutions fast, you know, we all know the, 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 you know, cheap fat, I can give it to you cheap, faster, high quality pick two kind of thing. So like, um, really carving that out for yourself, um, hopefully the manager's doing a good job of that, but if not, you do it for yourself just so that you can come up with the best solutions. Um, and it works out in the end, right? We all know, uh, rushing early just means delays later in some way. So, yeah, our engineering manager says, uh, when you need to go fast, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it prevents that like pigeonholing mindset too, of like, because I have to go so fast, I could only think of one way to do this. And, and that, that could plague a project for months, you know, of just thinking of one way to do this. But then you talk about it in the break room with a colleague and they're like, oh, why, why, why just think about it this way? And you're like, I can't think about it this way. But that's, no, but really you can like, like get yourself out of that pigeonhole mindset, set, give yourself a runway to approach the problem more, from a more stable position. I like that you brought up stress, and this is not a topic that we've discussed very much on the show, but I think it's a very relevant topic. We are charged with solving hard problems as engineers, and so by virtue of that charge, we are going to experience stress. I was recently given a few definitions of stress that I like a lot, so I'm going to share those, and then I have maybe one or two thoughts also to share about stress, and then I'd, I'd love to also hear kind of how you think about stress and, and how you deal with it, maybe some strategies that you've come up with over the years or, or learned. Uh, so the definitions that I've been given recently are stress occurs when we place our focus on an uncertain future. That's one, placing our focus on an uncertain future. The other one is stress occurs when the mind resists what is. Stress occurs when the mind resists what is. I think those are both really deep thoughts, and one could spend a long time thinking about them and really understanding what, what that means. But I'm not going to uh, pontificate endlessly right now. Um, so the, the, the couple of thoughts that I have surrounding stress – uh, is one, stress, we, we shouldn't just think of stress as a feeling. We all experience stress as a feeling, but really stress, we, sh we should think of it as your body's alert system. It's a way of, of notifying us that, hey, there's a problem here. You can do what probably most people do, myself included, in many situations, which is we just, we just feel the stress, right? We just experience the stress and it's uneasy and scary and we don't like it, but that it kind of stops there. It's just this feeling. 
Or we can recognize that this is my body's alert system telling me that there's a problem. Okay, what is the problem? Let's define what the problem is. Why am I feeling this stress? And then we go attack the problem. At least you're taking action then. At least you're trying to bring resolution to whatever the situation is at that at, at this time. And then the other thought is that um, stress is a psychological phenomenon. And there's a, a physical corollary, right? There's physical stress. For example, if we're running a marathon, eventually, if we keep running and running and running, eventually we're going to exhaust ourselves and just fall over because we don't have any any strength left. We've physically exhausted ourselves. And stress is the same in that if we continue to place our focus on this uncertain future without taking any breaks, Eventually, we're going to be mentally exhausted as well. And mentally, psychologically, we're just going to fall over. And we sometimes get surprised when this happens, even though we would never be surprised if someone told you, you're going to exhaust yourself after 10 hours of running and fall over, right? That's natural when you think of it from mm-hmm. a physical standpoint. But from a mental standpoint, we don't we don't always think about it like that. All right, that's pretty much all the high-level thoughts I have about stress. Um, now, Kyle, how, how do you think about stress and what are some, uh, do you have any strategies that you've learned over the years to, to deal with it? Yes. Uh, great summary, by the way. That was, that was really nice. Uh, the, I, a key tool, I think, is preventative. So the decisions we make early in a project or process or even just us taking accountability for a problem, um, that's where you can prevent it the most. You may not see it, but I think as experience grows, you do see where the stress will come from when you're looking over a project, looking over a scope, um, looking at your team and their capability, like all of that. And you and you can kind of plan for it in a better um a better way. So for sure preventative. And then you just to reiterate, you know, the the setting that runway, creating that safe space for your team so that they don't feel the stress. Someone someone may have to bear it, right? Like someone may have to be the person speaking to the delays on the project, the over budget, the the fact that maybe the current design is not actually working out the way everyone thought it would. Um, someone has to bear that for sure. Um, but the nice thing is, if you if you start with the core principles of knowing it's coming. Uh, getting people on the team regular updates. This is getting harder. This is getting harder. I have more risks. You know, like you're you're preparing the greater team for what is happening and the challenges, and hopefully getting some more assistance um, so that everything is a slow progression and you don't end up with a situation where you're looking back and you're like, wow, I, I, we kind of we kind of messed up the last three months by not being more aware of what's going on. Yeah, I. I think preparedness and just communication so that, so that people know it's happening and you actually get more support um, where you maybe thought you wouldn't have gotten it. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. One area in which I have experienced stress occurring is when managing a project, right? Especially an R and D project where you don't really know what the end looks like. You know what the, you want you think you know what you want the end to look like, but it's R&D, right? We're inventing something. We're, there's no guarantee for success. What are some best practices that you've employed over the years to successfully manage R&D projects? I, I kind of have a, a approach that I like to tell people, which is like crawl first, then walk, then run in terms of the progression of things. And so if, it, if it's a fresh project or a fresh problem, I want to solve it in the simplest, 
way possible. I want to get the easy wins out of the way, even holistically. Like, sure, I may not be able to give you a, a thousand products a month off the line guarantee, but if I can give you something that that gets us in the ballpark um, or just gets us something, you kind of alleviate the stress of that. But then you also kind of give your team a starting point from which to be like, okay, well, we have one solution. That's great. Now we can get fancy or now we can take some risks, especially as, as you know, as a contractor, it's, it's, uh, you have budgets. And for me, that's the biggest, that's, that's where I hit the biggest resistance is I want to make the fanciest tool. I've, I'm picturing in my head. It's amazing. It's going to do great things. I can't necessarily promise I'll be able to do that within the budget. So, so having a budget ceiling is a pretty critical, uh, that that's you know we all want to build the perfect thing, but that's actually where I struggle the most with is making sure that I'm under budget to start with, and then hopefully um, I understand a little bit more about the scope uh, and the problems, and then I can you know get fancy after the core problem is solved. Um, but that's that's where I see the the biggest thing is right scoping out, quoting a proper project, and then having a, a, a appropriate amount of funds to where you're not footing the bill because yeah. you wanted you wanted a higher quality product to leave the door. Yeah, right. Yeah, even with um time and materials type projects, I I I do like having, which is what you said, some kind of a a ceiling or a budget. It doesn't even have to be the final entire project budget. It could just be like a phase budget or something where if we if we get to this point and we're not at this milestone, let's stop, not not necessarily permanently, but let's stop and assess where we are. Just take a little break. And ask ourselves, are we really doing the right things here? Does it make sense to keep going or should we stop permanently at, at this point? That's a great kind of natural assessment phase. Yeah, that's a, totally true, right? Like almost like you increase magnitude of spend as you learn, as you, you exit these phases. So it's tiny, tiny chunks. And then once everything is understood, you do the big, the big push yeah. for that, for the yep. implementation. Yep. Right. Well, in addition to working as a W-2 employee, you've also worked as a a consultant, which you're doing right now. What are the pros and cons and and what should engineers do to prepare themselves if if they are considering going the consulting route? Yeah. um, Well, pros are diversity of projects for sure. And and, and actually um, kind of natural diversity of your network. If you do a good job, for 10 different companies, um, you know, that's 10 times. And, and let's say there's 30, 30 employees at each company that, that you pass by, that's 300 people that have a good impression of you. Um, so like just from a, a, a career growth and networking standpoint, I believe consulting is, it's very powerful. Um, and just from a personal learning standpoint, honestly, just, just given being given a further under the hood look at what the company's doing and how they're doing it and, and kind of giving that, that extra level of, um, of authority to, to make the call on things has been, it's, it's helped me kind of reduce my stress, honestly, like going back to stress, you know, by me being able to influence some of that change a little more deeply, I feel better about the problems being put in front of me because I'm, I'm making a call for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of cons, um, you are your own marketer. Um, you are your own kind of everything until you're making enough to support all those ancillary support things that you would have to think of as an engineer working in the department. So there's definitely a lot of 
just incon—I mean, I might call it late nights, just inconvenient nights where you think you can clock out at five, but you actually can't because you have a call with your accountant or you're dealing with a tax. There's some there's some issue that you have to deal with, and it doesn't it can't wait necessarily. Um, so so you get kind of those inconveniences. Uh, but again, I think as a whole, it's absolutely worth it. And it does kind of put you on the path from an engineer to a, to a startup founder, which is something I'm very, very much, um, working towards is, is that type of progression, because now you actually are getting, um, support knowledge from everybody you're working with across the For order. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And as you do that, you're meeting more and more people. It's almost a kind of a natural organic form of networking, which is uh, something else that that uh, you feel is very important, and and I don't disagree with that. Tell me a little bit about your experience networking. How has it been valuable for you? What are some some good ways that engineers can go about networking? Yeah, um, it's been immensely valuable. Let's just start from the problem solving standpoint. Um, I know you know we work for companies. We have to hold our NDAs in place, but we can always speak in generalities in terms of what we're dealing with, or maybe what kind of technologies we're trying to integrate or something. And being able to share that and talk with other engineers, you realize—I mean, especially now—like there are so many solutions that exist to a problem. It's actually it's it's like the the hard part's finding the right expert to talk to to guide, like making sure you're not choosing a servo motor kit that actually is super buggy and has limitations you don't know until later in the project. Like those types of things is is uh, immediate benefit of just being able to talk through your problems with outside eyes. Um, but then obviously from another network standpoint is it's very easy for engineers because it's like we were saying at the start of this, it's so it's such a needed thing that I find the engineering communities are very open and very uh, accepting and all, you know, all of that. So you end up with 10 friends easily at the end of every night, which is something I find, which is very different than, let's say, a, 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 another type of gathering. I'm not going to call out industries. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, let's see here. Let's talk about career path just for a minute. Uh, I, I always find it interesting that we choose a career before we really know what that career is, right? We, we go to college for those of us who go to college and, and we choose, choose this major, right? I chose engineering. And did I really understand what engineering was at the time? No, not really. But uh, people who were close to me said, you do well as an engineer. And I trusted them and it worked out well for me. But Suffice to say that we don't really understand the career that we're going into when we, we choose a major or if we're not going to a university, we just, you know, we, we choose something that we're going to do. Um, once, once you've graduated, so you're a student going to college, you get your degree in engineering, is it too late to change career paths at that time? Or what advice might you give to young engineers who are, who are just starting out? Yeah. Um, the first piece of advice I'd give to just anybody considering uh, any type of career is do a bite-sized project that someone in that career would do. Like take a bite out of that role and just make sure that you're just, it feels good when you complete it. You know, like does that, is that a nice, yeah, do, do you get that feeling of like, wow, I actually achieved something. I want I want to do a little bit more of that uh, for sure. So right off the bat, just do projects. And I, I mean, really small, you know, 
do it in a class setting, do it in, but make sure it's, it's coming from you. Someone else isn't putting that on your plate. You are choosing the project. You are saying I'm interested, um, and then complete it fully, regardless of whether it's good or not, right? Just see it to the end and then make judgments from there in terms of, you know, okay, I can see myself doing more of that. Um, that would be my immediate reaction to, to choosing career. But then in terms of after, I, I think in your twenties or just, and just after college, let's just say you pick a career path and so your first couple of jobs maybe aren't the best, or there's just, there's just some, some second guessing in terms of decisions. I think within a career, assuming you like what you do at that fundamental level, like those little bit, do you do, like, let's say you do projects um, technical projects on the side, or you like technology, like engineers are interested in things. So make sure you are a things type person. Um, if you're still playing in that ball game, then it's more just a matter of, I think you just need to talk to more people. You have to get more, get, give yourself more avenues of adjusting, um, by sharing the, those experiences. Hey, I'm working that job. It kind of stinks. Uh, but you're sharing that with other people and, it's amazing what the, what kind of advice you get, or just just by speaking it out loud, it kind of allows you to uh, manage um, what it what it truly is that you're trying. What what is the real decision underneath that feeling that you're trying to make? Yeah, doing is better than learning about doing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, just a couple more, and then uh, I think we'll wrap it up here. So, specifically within the context of your role as an engineer. What is one thing that brings you joy and conversely, one thing that uh, maybe frustrates you? Either order, you can answer. Sure. Uh, from the joy perspective, I really like seeing the product being made by somebody else, specifically something that I worked on or a team that I've worked with. Just just seeing someone else like take that on, whether it be a technician or an operator or just another engineer and really drive it. Um, that's where I get a lot of my satisfaction. Cause to me, that is like the true definition of done. If we saw, if we did the hard part, we solved the hard problem and someone else was able to pick up that solution and then run with it. I think that's for me, that's like where I get my satisfaction. Absolutely. Um, on the, on the cons side of, I think it's, it's just making sure everyone on your team has consensus of that goal going all the way back to like the idea of what's what's the story um you know that's where it gets kind of tough is it where you can get some friction and if you know let's say you all agree to the story but some other things come up deadlines budgets team member shortages something is basically keeping you from achieving that story and you maybe you're starting to I guess, I don't know if dissenters is too serious, but you're, you're, people are starting to desert the cause, you know, they're, they're starting to think, well, maybe this is not quite, and, and they're kind of getting in the way of progress. I, I think that's where it can be a little bit, um, of a, of a struggle, but, um, yeah, there's always more projects, right? So it's like, I, I try to just keep that, um, ab- abundance mindset of just like, take a step back. What is the overall impact of what I'm doing? Um, is it okay to switch gears 180 here? Sure. I think we can make that work. Um, just so you're not too, um, honestly, it's like not too emotionally attached to a project in any way. Yeah. And I think the great thing about being an engineer is we, 
we learn this very logical, ordered way of thinking. And once you know how to think about a problem, you can do so many different things completely outside of engineering, right? Um, if you find at some point that you're not thrilled with engineering, I think it's a lot easier to go from engineering to another profession than the other way around. Uh, yeah, I'd actually, it's a, um, I'd love to add to that, which is the fact that once I've once you kind of figure out how things work, I think the the next level is kind of how people work with things. Mm, and so like, deep. so like you kind of have this systems approach of just, if you just kind of see everyone operating, let's say in a department, you know, if you see that as a mechanism underneath the business that generates results, um, I think it allows you to logically come to conclusions for why even let's say departments don't work or, uh, you know, org chart, like all that all that kind of thing. And that is like an extra superpower on top of just how things work is just realizing that like, oh, that I see why you think that because of how your department set its rules up. And like, that's where I kind of like to mesh my consulting is like the people problem. And then of course, just the, the, the product problem on the other side. Well said. Well said. Well, Kyle, what a great privilege this has been talking with you today. Thank you again for sharing some time with us. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, you can. there's a number of different resources. Uh, I, I work with a bunch of different organizations. So I set up a link tree. They can find me at uh, buildlaunch.net. So two words, buildlaunch.net. Um, yeah, start a conversation. Okay, terrific. Well, Kyle, thank you again for being on the Being an Engineer podcast. Thank you, Aaron. It was a pleasure. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please share the episode. To learn how your team can leverage our team's expertise developing turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines, and with product design, visit us at teampipeline.us. Thanks for listening.